to church. Uh, my name is Pete. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I'm the lead pastor. And look, I've already met a bunch of you who have been um, invited to come along. Uh, this may be your first time in this church, in any church. Um, you are so welcome. And can I just say, um, you are not alone. Uh, you heard from Wilson, you know, about 10 years ago, he walked into church, never really been part of anything. But every week we have people who come and just want to find out more. And so we want to say that's, this is a good place to find out more. Um, so glad you're here with us to think about a very important question. Now, I want to begin by asking people here whether they've ever played... Can you click so I can click? Yeah. Ever played this game? Ever? Okay, I want to show of hands. If you have ever played The Sims at any part of your life, stick your hand up. That is a lot of people, right? Okay, I mean, if I'd asked the same question about Fortnite, you probably wouldn't have had as many hands because The Sims has been around for nearly 20 years and is still popular. Now, if you don't know what The Sims is, it's a, basically a life simulator game. You control a character. You get to choose the kind of character you want. And it's a virtual world, but it's open-ended, right? It's not a, just about completing missions and finishing the game. You're directing their lives in an open-ended way. You get to choose. Um, as I said, 19 years ago it came out. But here's the thing, it's still popular. It's in fact the highest selling computer game series. Uh, there are YouTubers. I don't know if you've ever watched YouTube videos on The Sims. Some of them are quite funny. But some of them basically make a living off making Sims videos. There you go. Here's an idea for some of you. So what's the attraction? Why, why do people play The Sims? Well, for some, they just love the idea of playing God and mucking around. All right? So I came across this person who said, so they've been playing for 32 hours, and he said, had 12 kids with eight different women, became president, then died when I tried cooking spaghetti. <laughs> Some people just like to do stuff like that. But for others, uh, I read an article, others um, like 36-year-old Sydney cider Alicia Tan, she went back to the game after taking a break for 10 years and is now hooked again on The Sims. Why is she hooked? Well, you see, in real life, Alicia can't afford to buy a house in Sydney. Who can? But in The Sims, she can. Not just a house, a very nice house. Because through The Sims, we can live out virtual lives that, quite frankly, can sometimes be better than our real lives. That's a pretty appealing form of escapism, isn't it? Now, I think the popularity of The Sims throughout these 20 years almost reminds us that human beings really can't help but make meaning. You agree with me? We, we just can't help but make meaning, whether it's in real life, and if real life is getting you down because you're not making much meaning, then let's do it virtually. The creator of The Sims, a guy called Will Wright, he was influenced by a 1940s psychologist called Abraham Maslow. don't know if you've heard of Maslow, if you've studied psych, you might have. But Maslow identified there are five basic life goals that drive all human beings. Because, you see, human beings are not like animals, we, that just live on instinct and survival. No, no, no. We want meaning. We need purpose. We don't just need our needs met, but we have wants. We have goals, desires, dreams. I'm probably not telling you anything new when I say that your, your happiness and your health depend on these things, right? I mean, you take meaning away and a person will literally shrivel up and die. So I wonder how you would answer that question. What is the meaning of your life? How would you answer that? And 
Are you satisfied with your answers? Or perhaps, just maybe, you're here today, and whether you're a regular at church, you've been coming for ages, or whether you're just someone who's investigating, maybe you're here today because you want to know if there's something more. Well, I have three things to, to talk about this morning, and if you want to follow the logic of what I'm saying, it's on the inside of those handouts you got where you came in. So let's talk about, firstly, definitions. I mean, what do we mean when we talk about meaning in life? Well, I think there are two broad things, right? They're separate, but they're very related. The two broad things when we talk about the meaning of pretty much anything, usually, it's number one, significance. What is its significance? What is it, in other words? Number two, we also ask purpose. What is it for? What is it? What is it there for? Right? And that's what we mean when we say, what's the meaning of an object? So, for example, if you, for the first time in your life, came across those two sticks, and you ask the question, what is its meaning? What, what does it mean? Okay, I know I'm talking to a lot of Asians, so you know what it is. But imagine this is the first time you've come across it. Up till now, you've been using your hands, or you've been using um, knives and forks, and now you get two sticks. Well, you would firstly know that it's called chopsticks, or Chinese kuaizu, right? And then you would ask, what is it for? And I don't actually use chopsticks properly. <laughs> My wife, who's uh, Anglo, uses it better than me. But um, this is supposedly something, see, see how wobbly that is? This is how you're supposed to use it. It's not how I use it, okay? That's what it's there for. It's there to eat with, right? Shovel rice in your mouth, pick up food with great difficulty. Um, so in life, when we ask the meaning of life, those two things are helpful. Firstly, we ask the question of significance. So we want to know who we are, and who we are actually matters. That's the first thing we want to know in terms of meaning of life, who we are and that it matters. The second is, of course, purpose. We want to know what we do matters, why we're here, right? What are the goals? What are the purposes? Why are we here? We want to know who we are, that it matters, and what we do, that it matters. And if a person knows those answers to those questions, well, we can say that they have meaning in life. But when it comes to, if you ask broadly people what they think about meaning, do they have meaning, there are basically three options and it's listed for you in A, B, and C um, in your handouts. Um, there is an option, which is actually a little bit depressing, but it's this, that there is actually no meaning. Now, some people will say, there is no meaning to life. Last week, if you were here, um, I talked about how there's such a thing as a closed universe view of the world. That is, there is no God, there is no spirit, there is nothing beyond matter, right? The stuff we're made of, time, plus chance. Right? We're just highly evolved beings who are here by accident, and there's nothing beyond that. No life after death, no God, no spirit, no spirituality. Now, if it is a closed universe then by definition, there can't be meaning because why? We are products of accidents. Accidents, by definition, have no purpose or meaning. Do you see? So famous atheist Richard Dawkins, you might have read his books, heard about him, he says this, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. At least he's honest. <laughs> If you have a closed universe, maybe you think there is no meaning. Now, it's a pretty depressing view, and Richard Dawkins thinks that, but I, you know, most atheists I meet don't think that. 
So the second option that we often take is that meaning is self-made. And this is probably the majority of people all around, but even you here. Meaning is self-made. Because if nature and evolution and even religion can't give us good answers on meaning, then maybe I just need to make my own meaning. Or we need to make our own meanings, plural, not just one meaning. A person may have lots of meanings, lots of purposes, lots of goals, lots of definitions. But essentially... It's self-created. So those two things about meaning, significance. Your significance is self-created. You can make yourself whoever you want to be. Right? That's a pretty treasured idea of, of identity nowadays. Isn't it? You can be whoever you want to be. Don't let society, don't even let genetics tell you otherwise. Self-realization, self-identity, self-significance. What about purpose? Well, purpose is also self-created. Find your passion, we're told, and make goals. Pursue them. Be happy. Right? This is probably the most appealing and popular default view of meaning. And it may be yours as well, even if you've grown up with some sort of religion. Now, I'm not going to be here to tell you that you can't have a meaningful life if that's your view. Absolutely, I know plenty of people can and do have meaningful lives under this view. You can. However, I want to suggest that this view of meaning and this view of meaning-making is fragile. It's fragile. That is, it breaks easily. And maybe you're here today because even though you have this view of meaning and you've subscribed to it and you live by it, niggling suspicion down deep inside, you know that even in your life it's been very fragile. It's breaking easily or has been broken. And there's three areas I want to suggest it's fragile. Firstly, it's intellectually fragile. Now, as I said, not a lot of people live with option A, no meaning. But then again, as I said last week, one in four Australians don't believe there is a God at all. Here's the thing. If you are an atheist, you actually are convinced there is no God. This is a closed universe. I want to suggest to you that the most intellectually consistent position is A, no meaning. Really. I mean, you can tell yourself you can have a meaningful life if you create meaning for yourself. But you have to actually do that by switching off your rationality. You have to intellectually disconnect. Because rationally, what do you believe? That we are, as I said, as Dawkins said, matter plus time plus chance in a blind, pitiless, indifferent universe. No design, no purpose. And, and think about it. On a long enough timeline, I'm not talking about tens of years, hundreds of years. Let's think thousands. Let's think millions of years. On a scale of millions of years, honestly, will who you are or what you do actually matter if you live in a closed universe? Whether you are a murderer or a saint in a scale of millions of years, long after our solar system has imploded, will it actually matter? It won't, will it? Or if I said last week, if you believe in what's called the multiverse, well... What does anything you do matter anyway? Because you choose one thing here and another universe, you've chosen something else and whatever, right? Okay, you may pursue success or pleasure or knowledge, but can you turn your brain off enough intellectually to silence the doubts that if you were consistent as an atheist, 
you really should not have any meaning. Intellectually, I think it's kind of fragile, but socially it's also fragile. Even if you're not an atheist, okay? See, if we are all responsible for making our own meanings in life, then what happens when my meaning conflicts with your meaning? Do you know what I mean? Like, person A, Marshall, not him, but I'll just use his name, pursues personal security, wants to provide wealth for his family, great things. That's his meaning. But he does it at the expense of the poor. Maybe he's a business owner. Maybe his company exploits cheap labor in India. But his meaning is to provide for his family, but he'll do it at the expense of the poor. Person B, Danny, makes his meaning by alleviating poverty and pursues that. Now, on what basis can we say that person B's meaning, Danny's, is good, but person A's, Marshall's, is bad? If everyone is responsible for making their own meanings, there is no objective meaning. Everything is yours versus mine. How can we judge? Do you see? It's socially fragile. I'll give you a live example. Steve Jobs. Everyone knows Steve Jobs? Creator, founder of Apple, passed away a few years ago. Most would say he led a very meaningful life. And if you use any Apple products, you'd be really thankful for Steve Jobs. But if you've ever read his biography, if you've ever looked at his life, you will know he was a real jerk. Like jerk with a capital J-E-R-K, okay? Like jerk. To people around him, he destroyed lots of relationships, especially his ex-wife, his daughter. His meaning-making actually destroyed their meanings. Do you see? Now, on what basis can we judge? Do we say, well, you know what? He did help the world lots with his Apple meaning-making, so that excuses his personal jerkiness. <laughs> you have no basis of judging. Because self-made meaning is socially fragile. And then last of all, self-made meaning is, I want to suggest to you, experientially fragile. In other words, can self-made meaning actually work in all the arenas of life? I'll give you an example. You might believe that you can be whoever you want to be. Don't let anyone hold you back. Well, you know what? If I was born 5 foot, 150 centimeters tall, and that's as tall as I'm getting, I may decide my meaning in life is to play for the NBA. Right, the basketball professional league in America. But you know what? I won't be able to fight genetics. It just will not happen that a 150 centimeter, five foot person is ever going to play for the NBA. Do you see what I mean? Self-made meanings have limitations. Be anyone who you want to be is actually nice sounding, but it's kind of a lie and we all know it. And here's the other thing. Self-made meaning is so easily broken by life's difficulties, is it not? In this church, I talk to a lot of migrants and a lot of migrant parents. A lot of migrant parents, and if you're from that family, you will know that migrant parents will make it their meaning in life to pursue what's best for their kids. And that's a great thing, isn't it? Education, career, all the things they couldn't have. But you know, I often see these families where the kids grow up, but the kids grow up and resent their parents, or abandon their parents, or end up using their parents. That's going to really destroy your meaning, isn't it? And I talked to so many who are so disillusioned because that everything they've lived for is gone. The kids that they love so much and put through school, done everything for now, resent them. Or maybe you pursue fitness and health only to be diagnosed with cancer. Or maybe you pursue career only to have your marriage break down because of your career. Or maybe you pursue wealth only to have it gone in a global downturn. Do you see what I mean? Self-made meanings find it hard to survive in real life. 
It's fragile. Intellectually, socially, experientially. So third option now, point C. Um, For Christians, meaning doesn't come from self. It comes from God. Because God, as He reveals Himself in the Bible, created us. He designed us. He is sovereign. He is in control of our lives. Which means that meaning is not self-made. Meaning is given to you. It's assigned. Who we are and what we're supposed to do is given by Him. If He designed us, He gets to tell us. And today I'm going to ask you whether you'd consider a trade. Again, I'm not here to tell you your meaning making is not good. And you can't... There's plenty of people. It is fragile. And so I want you to consider a trade. Your self-made meaning traded for one given by God. Now, as I say this, I know a lot of you are thinking, this does not sound appealing, especially to modern minds. How I'm asking you to give up your treasured freedom and autonomy to be told by someone, big guy upstairs even, what your meaning is instead. It's just not worth it, you say. Even though it's fragile, I'd rather hold on to that than give it up. But, What if today I could introduce you to a God who is unlike maybe the God you think you know or you were told about growing up or indoctrinated with, but a God who made you and loves you so deeply and unconditionally. And if I can introduce you to a God who gave up everything to give you new meaning, if if you could meet that God, then maybe, maybe you'd be worth giving a trade or making a trade. And so to do that, I'm going to spend some time in really what is a very heartwarming account in one of the biographies of Jesus, between Jesus and a man called Zacchaeus. So turn your attention to the passage that Trevor read for us. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I just want to read it again and point out a few things. I want you to meet Jesus as Zacchaeus met him that day. So have a look at the screen. I'm going to read it out. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I don't know if you've ever heard of something called the Napoleon Complex. It's actually a real thing. Uh, Napoleon was supposed to be a short man. All right? The Napoleon uh, Complex is, studies apparently now have shown that shorter men, and I'm sorry if you're one of them, um, I am really relative to Marshall. (laughs) Uh, Shorter men are more likely to be, here it is, jealous husbands and boyfriends. It's the Napoleon Complex, because you're trying to make up for your height deficiency. Now, I'm not sure if that's true in general, But this guy, Zacchaeus, I'll just call him Zach. Zach seemed to be one of those 
with the Napoleon complex. As we meet him, he is one of those who tried to compensate for his, his, his height with other things. So look how Zach tried to make meaning in life. Let's talk about the significance and the purpose. So the number one, who he is. Zach is a short guy. We, we find that out. And so in some ways, you can imagine he feels insignificant. Growing up, he was probably ignored, unpopular, possibly bullied. So what did he make it his meaning in life? His mission in life is to stand out in other ways. If he can't do it vertically, he'll stand out in other ways. That's who he is. Look what he does with his meaning in terms of purpose. What does he do? Well, what does he do to stand out in other ways? He makes money. He makes it his purpose in life to get wealthy. And we read here that he was wealthy. Well, that's Zacchaeus' purpose. Now, if meaning is all self-made, you might not think much of his meaning-making, but you have no right to say that his is better or worse than yours, right? But look how fragile it is. Intellectually, this is a very fragile meaning-making because how can wealth make up for low self-esteem? You may know people who tried that. They're the worst wealthy people. You might have bosses like that. They're the worst, aren't they? You know that they're just really insecure, but they want to flaunt their wealth or their power. They're really insufferable and unbearable. Intellectually, though, you can't make up for low self-esteem just by getting rich. Socially, well, (laughs) his whole meaning was very damaging to those around him. Um, You may not know what a tax collector in the first century was, but essentially tax collectors were known as both cheats because they would always get more tax than they needed to collect to line their own pockets. That's how he got wealthy. But if you're a Jewish tax collector, then you were also a national trader because you worked for the Romans, the enemies, to collect taxes from your and to cheat your fellow Jews. So he was socially hurting others by his meaning making. He was socially fragile. Experientially, it was fragile because clearly it hasn't brought him any happiness, has it? See, Zach had meaning, searched for meaning, but he was someone whose meaning came to a dead end. So he wanted to trade. And in meeting Jesus, you see, he traded both his self-made significance and his self-made purpose. Firstly, significance. Do you know, did you notice Zach was willing to be a complete fool in order to meet Jesus? I mean, this is a comical scene. You're supposed to read it, imagine it, and think this is kind of funny. A grown man climbing a tree. My eight-year-old son loves to climb trees and poles and basically anything, but he's eight years old. Zacchaeus, possibly my age, in his 40s, he's climbing a tree just to see Jesus. Why? Because he's too short and he can't see over the crowd. It's meant to be funny. But look how desperate he is. It makes the behavior of the worst BTS fam girl seem normal. Right? You know who you are, you armies. I think they're called armies, is that right? Yeah. Okay? But he was a fanboy so much that he was able to, he wanted to throw dignity to the wind. See? He traded his significance. He didn't care. He also traded his purpose because at the end of encountering Jesus, he was willing to trade all of his wealth, you see. All that he had lived for, all that he accumulated. You can imagine everyone there after he said those last words, everyone there was happy. Why? Not only is the rich man now taking a step down, but this guy was willing to pay back four times the amount of what he cheated out of anyone. And I'm sure he cheated a lot of people. And they would now make it back with 400% interest. All right? They would be rich now. 
he would not be rich ever again. He was willing to trade that, though, his purpose. Why would he be willing to do that? Trade his self-made meaning for the chance to meet Jesus. It was because in meeting Jesus, he found what he was looking for. Zach found something better. Jesus gave him something better. So he gave up his significance to be now given a better one. So you notice in this um, encounter, Jesus was the first to notice him and call him out. Jesus didn't laugh or make fun of him. Everyone else did. Jesus, in fact, very rarely does Jesus call people by name, but he does here. He calls Zacchaeus by name out of all the crowds there swarming around him. He looks at one person up a tree and he says, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name. Imagine that. A celebrity knows you by name. Actually, one of uh, our members here is on a first name basis with Delta Goodrum. You might know Joe Matthews. If you ever follow her Instagram, sometimes she would post and Delta would reply because they actually know each other on a first name basis. That's pretty special, right? Delta, Joe, first name basis. Well, here is Jesus calling Zacchaeus on a first name basis. That is honor to be known by Jesus. But it's also significance. Because Jesus, okay, God become a man. God in human flesh comes up and says to him and therefore is telling everyone else, Zacchaeus, I know you. You're important to me. Wow, huh? He got a much better significance that day. Well, number two, he gave up his old purpose to also be given a better one that day by Jesus. Jesus says to him after he calls Zacchaeus by name, he says, I've got to stay at your house today. Now, Jesus was a traveling preacher. He needed somewhere to stay. But it's not just a practical thing. Because Jesus could have asked anyone. Anyone would have put him up. But you see, in a high hospitality culture like theirs, like some of the cultures you've come from, Jesus, by inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house, was actually initiating a relationship. That's the significance there. He was initiating a relationship. He's saying to Zach, Zach, I want to be a part of your life, and I want you to be a part of my life. That's what it meant. You see, he gave Zach a new purpose, and this purpose was relationship, friendship with the God who made him and loves him and wants to be in his life. That's his new purpose. You see, that day Jesus met Zacchaeus was actually God coming and meeting Zacchaeus to give him new meaning. Do you notice that lovely little detail at the end in uh, verse number eight over there? Zach, before he gives his speech about what he would now do with his money, notice it says that you might have missed it. He says, but Zacchaeus stood up. He stood up. The short man stood up, no longer ashamed, no longer insignificant, because he had his life changed. He stood tall because he found what he was looking for. And it didn't come from inside of him, it came from outside of him, from God. So my final point is to ask that question again, are you willing to trade? Are you willing to trade? Maybe you are the group A. I don't feel like there is any meaning in life. 
Or maybe more likely you are the group B, self-made meaning, but meaning that's fragile. Well, whether A or B, can I ask you today whether you're willing to trade A or B for C? The meaning that God can give you through Jesus. That can't be taken away and that's not fragile. It's actually very secure. Intellectually, it's secure. Because you, by believing in the God of the Bible, suddenly you realize you are not an accident. I mean, God may have used evolution as a means to... But it wasn't an accident. It was directed. It was designed. You are not an accident. You were created. You were designed. You are loved. And you were created to have a meaningful and deep and satisfying relationship with the God who made you. He created all of us for that purpose. Intellectually, it's secure. Socially, it's secure. As I said, self-made meaning ends up often hurting each other. and We can't judge whether one is better or the other, even if it does hurt each other's meaning. Well, you know what? When you are in relationship with God, you actually put others first before yourself. That's kind of the heart and soul of the Christian idea of love. Jesus' idea of love is you before me. It's socially secure. It's socially responsible. It's also experientially secure. Because who you are, what you're made for, your significance and purpose, neither one of them is conditional. All right? It's not based on your performance, your genetics, how well you can create wealth or pursue a career or succeed. In, no, none of it is based on performance. God gives it to you because that's how He made you. He'll love you in spite of your... You, and therefore, you can't fail. You can't fail. And nothing can take it away. Not even suffering and death or cancer or obstacles and difficulties in life. Experientially, it is so secure and is able to carry you through the worst of sufferings. Because no one can take it away. And even when you die, your relationship with God only gets better. Are you willing to trade? Yeah, it takes a lot of trust. Again, we, we hold on very dearly to the idea of self-made freedoms, autonomy. But today, maybe some of you will be willing to trade by trusting and I would say a well-placed trust. And it is well-placed because Jesus made a trade for you. See, when Jesus asks you and I to give up our self-made significance and purposes in exchange for the ones He gives us, He's not asking us to do anything He hasn't already done. Did you know that? Remember I said that the Bible is clear. Jesus is God become a man. Look what He had to trade. He had to give up his rights of who he is as God. Right? In all of God's glory, he didn't stop being God, but he gave up all the power, all the rights, all the privileges, all the wealth. He gave it up for us. He traded his dignity for humiliation. He traded his power for weakness. He went to the cross to make the ultimate trade, of course. His life for yours. He trades His perfection for your brokenness. Because on the cross, the Bible says He takes the punishment for the way we've treated 
God and broken our relationship with God for the way we've treated each other and broken relationship with each other, for the way we've treated the world, our environments, and the way we've screwed that up. Well, He takes the punishment for all of that as a trade in our place on the cross so that He could, in the words of Luke 19, right, the last verse you see there, for the Son of Man, He's talking about Himself, came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save you and me. It's that Jesus who went to the cross, who traded everything. It's Him who's asking you to make the trade today. So can you trust Him? Your self-directed meaning-making is so very fragile. He's asking you to trade it for something that not even death can take away. So what next? For most of you, it is to come back and find out more. Oh, you're not going to be able to, on the basis of one 30-minute talk from me, make, possibly make a life-changing decision if this is the first time you've heard it. So I want to plug Fresh. Okay, Fresh is just that kind of environment over coffee, desserts, small groups, chatting, discussion, not just one guy talking like me, but a lot of hearing what you, you think, your questions. Um, and guess what? Fresh, the first week, the topic is, what is the good life? <laughs> right? And essentially, what, how does Jesus give meaning? Well, come back to find out more. But then following that, it's, and these are maybe the questions you have. Before I'm willing to trade it with Jesus' meaning, well, I've got to know I can trust the Bible. How do I know it's even real? Not something that some people made up. How can I know I can trust Jesus? Fresh, right? Over five weeks, we're going to look at all of those things. That's hopefully quite a number of you and probably most of you. However, for some, and maybe it's just one, two of you today, maybe you've heard this before, but maybe this is now in a new way, kind of struck you, and maybe you're willing to make the trade today. You're like, no, Pete, I, I, I still want to come to Fresh. Yeah, that's great, but honestly, I feel like God is telling me I need to do something about it today. Well, if this is you, and you're willing to take up the invitation for Jesus to come into your life, to trade your meaning for His, to start a relationship with Him, then I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. I mean, why wait? Again, it's not going to be everyone. But if this is you, then if you look on the other side of your bulletins, I've got there a little prayer. And it's also on the, um, the screens. What I'll do in a moment, I'm just going to pray it. And if this is something that you honestly can pray to God today, then why don't you, in your mind, in your head, quietly to God, also echo it. Again, it won't be for everyone. But on the chance that it might be you and you're ready today, I don't want you to have to go away and wait. All right, this prayer is not magic. It's just going to put into words some of the things that you need to say to God or Jesus if today you're willing to do that. So... To make it easy for those who do want to pray it with me, I'm going to ask everyone if you can just all kind of look down, <laughs> otherwise known as bowing your heads. Um, close your eyes if it helps you. But if you are willing to do today what Jesus is offering you, giving you trade, if you want today, follow Him, become a Christian, then as I pray it now, why don't you echo it in your head quietly to Him? He'll hear you. All right, let's pray. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for trying to make my life meaningful without you. I know that's hurt you and others and myself. Please forgive me. 
Thank you that you died on the cross for me and rose again so I can be forgiven. Please now come into my life and change it. I want relationship with you to begin today. Amen. Now, if you've taken that as your next step, great news because, you know what, there's nothing more you need to do for relationship with God to have begun. It, it began. And you walked in here, right, searching for something that maybe you tried to make yourself, you're going to walk out of here guaranteed with new meaning that not even death can take away. I'm going to come up in a moment after we sing to, to explain how, you can, how we can help you take that next step. As well as, if for you the next step is, you know what, I want to find out more. I want to come to fresh, okay? But let's, um, let's stand and let's 